Christmas and chocolate and Jesus and all good things. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Um, morning, guys. Wonderful to be together. Wonderful to sing and just, ah, it's great, eh? Um, we're going to be looking at the Bible now. That's what we do. Uh, the Bible is our authority in all things. It tells us about Jesus. Uh, it helps us understand ourselves. And um, today we're going to be looking at just one verse as we continue in our series, uh, trying to understand the kingdom of God, what it is, what it does, how it changes our lives, how it changes the world. And today we're going to be in Matthew 6 and 24. And so Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, we're going to read this verse, we're going to pray, and then off we go. You ready? Yes. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it puts light into things that were dark. Thank you that it exposes things and helps us understand things. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you'd come through your word and illuminate things in our hearts, in our society. Lord, help us to see, help us to understand, and help us to have a great sense of your peace and your joy as you bring us more and more into the freedom that belongs to the children of God. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that you're changing the world. Thank you that you're changing us. Come, Holy Spirit, right now and change us, I pray. Work in our hearts. We humble ourselves under your mighty word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Jesus came into a world that was broken and full of mess and full of pain and so many kinds of darkness. And, and one of the things that he did was he came to expose the works of the evil one. And, and there's, a, there's an aspect of the coming of the kingdom of God that is explanatory. We, we look at the kingdom of God and what Jesus is teaching, and we understand the world a bit more. We understand our own struggles a bit more, and we go, okay, that's, that's what's going on here. And in this verse, that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus uses a word uh, that we're, we're not familiar with. It's the word mammon. So he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. And so what we need to understand really is what is mammon uh, and why can't you serve God and mammon and how, how is the world messed up because of mammon and how is Jesus changing the world and setting people free and transforming things to be different. And uh, it's a little bit like uh, a room that's been kind of dark and uninhabited for years and all the creepy crawlies are there and, and like no one's been in that room for years and then suddenly the, the shutters are thrown open, the curtains are thrown open and light comes in and you see all the spiders and all the bugs and all the rats and all the creepy crawlies and you're like, oh, that's what's going on in there. And, and that's what Jesus does. He comes into our lives and he just throws light in. He throws light in and we're like, whoa, that's what was going on in my heart when that happened. That what was what was going on in the news and in politics when that happened. 
And, and, and so the explanatory power of the kingdom of God is at work here. And um, wonderfully, Matthew, who is writing this, this book that we've been studying this term, Matthew was a tax collector before he came to Christ. We got any tax collectors here or similar? No one's going to lift their hand. We love you, eh? Um, Matthew and his job, he worked on behalf of the Roman colonizing empire. And the whole Roman system was this brutal economic military system where there were super rich people and super poor people. And Matthew was part of that system. And so he wasn't just familiar with, if you like, the power of mammon uh, in individuals' lives, but also in, in a systemic sense. He was part of that world, and Jesus called him to follow him. And so when Matthew writes his gospel, he has lots of great perspectives on money. All the way through Matthew, there are loads of great perspectives on money because that was Matthew's world. And so he's able to understand what Jesus is doing in the world through that lens. And so, very simply, in this passage, we've got two characters. We've got, you cannot serve God and mammon. And presumably, the idea is, let's not serve mammon, let's serve God, right? And so what we're going to do, we're going to have two sections to this talk. The first is, don't serve mammon. And then the second bit is, serve God. <laughs> so it's pretty simple, right? Uh, and so here we go. <laughs> Firstly, don't serve mammon. Now, mammon is the name of a demon. And um, church history has always understood it to be that. When Jesus uses this Aramaic word when he's explaining things, he's talking about a demon that is involved in money. And church history has always understood and preached this, and we're going to see that in a moment. Jesus is naming an evil spirit that's associated with lots of things to do with money. So avarice and greed and luxury and super wealth, but also with fear, crippling anxiety, uh, paralyzing, overwhelming sense of hopelessness when it comes to money. That feeling you have when you're, you're so in debt that you don't want to open the envelopes that come through your door because they're just all bad news and you just want to hide your head in the sand. It's a, a, a demon that's been associated with uh, the slave trade and the buying and selling of human souls in history. It's a demon that's been associated with slave driver-like workaholism and the exhausting nature of just trying to keep your head above water and the rat race and how it drives people. It's a demon that cripples whole nations with unpayable national debt. It's, it's a demon that's associated uh, in many ways with big business and corporate exploitation and corruption and the eroding of our environmental resources, the colonizing of other nations to steal their natural resources. It's a major reason in our society for marriage breakup, disagreements about money, a major reason in our society for criminality, for people joining gangs, for hopelessness, for suicide. It's a major reason for wars and invasions and for the grotesque gap between the super rich and the super poor. And so we're going to understand this a little bit in terms of micro mammon, which is 
involved in our own personal, individual lives, and macro-mammon, which is more to do with kind of systems and nations and government. And um, the point is this. Christians all the way through history and all the way around the world have understood this. Mammon is a demonic power that comes to steal and destroy communities. Cyprian, third century North Africa, he said, he's writing about the indolent wealthy. He said, nor does he perceive, poor wretch, that these things are merely gilded torments. That's like torments dipped in gold. That he's held in bondage by his gold, that he's the slave of his luxury and wealth rather than their master. Chrysostom in the fourth century in Istanbul, in Constantinople, he said, the greedy are those who serve mammon and slavishly obey it. Thomas Aquinas, 13th century in Italy, said mammon, he pictured mammon being carried up from hell by a wolf, uh, coming to inflame the human heart with greed. Ulrich von Pottenstein uh, from Germany in the 15th century, That's, that is a German name, right? It is strange to see that a miser, a stingy person, the more he has, the more he desires, like someone with a fever who the more water he drinks, the more he wants. And Ben Witherington III, uh, from 21st century USA, um, he said this, Jesus puts a human face on the term, thus he speaks about mammon as a master of persons, a master that one must forsake if he wishes to be a servant of God. Uh, so that's all kind of little snapshots all the way through Christian history and all around the world, uh, the same understanding of this idea. Uh, we've also seen it in Christian art through history. So uh, this is Colin de Plancy's Mammon from his Dictionnaire Infernal. And um, he said this, and he was French, and you have to understand something about the relationship between the French and the English. He said, Mammon is hell's ambassador to England. Um, George Frederick Watts painted this picture of Mammon. Uh, uh, the, the, the problem with that is, when I look at that picture, it looks a little bit like me. Um, so we'll move on quickly. And Evelyn de Morgan painted the worship of mammon uh, like this. So, just there's a kind of a, a little survey of just trying to understand that when Jesus talks about you can't serve God and mammon, he's talking about a demon, a spiritual power, okay? Now, it's not about how much money you've got in your pocket. It's about how much mammon you've got in your heart. So, what Jesus is saying here is what you do with your money is spiritual warfare. You want to know how to do spiritual warfare? Well, it starts with your relationship with money. Okay, and this is not warfare to determine how wealthy you'll be. It's not warfare to determine what your finances are going to be like. This is spiritual warfare to determine what your eternal destiny is going to be like. This is spiritual warfare to determine what your usefulness in the kingdom of God is going to be like, what your freedom is going to be like, what your, your peace and your contentment is going to be like, what your well-being is going to be like. And so... God does not care how much money you've got in your bank. It doesn't change God's view of you if you've got lots and lots and lots of money in your bank or if you've got no money in your bank or if you've got 
minus money in your bank. God doesn't care how much money you've got in your bank. That's not the issue here. Okay? God cares how much mammon you've got in your soul. And you can be rich and free of mammon, or you can be rich and enslaved to mammon. You can be poor and driven and oppressed by mammon and bitter, or you can be poor and free to follow your conscience. Do you understand? So God doesn't care how much money you've got in your bank. Actually, the devil doesn't care how much money you've got in your bank. You know, some people say, oh, God really wants you to be wealthy and the devil's trying to keep you poor. Other people might say, God really wants you to be poor and the devil's trying to make you wealthy. Actually, the point is not that. The point is the enemy is mammon. Do you understand? And the devil's concern is to destroy your soul, to destroy your testimony, to destroy your faith, to ruin your relationships. And the devil could bind you up in greed and comfort and wealth and take you out of the game. Yeah? I've bound you up. You're sitting on your lovely soft sofa. You've got everything that you want, and I've taken you out of the game. Or the devil could bind you up in abject poverty and cycles of debt that you can't pay off and never get your head above the water and never get oxygen and take you out of the game. Or the devil could bind you up in just workaholism and drivenness and exhaustion so you're so fighting just to function that you've got no energy left for faith or love or service. Take you out of the game. Do you understand? And so the devil's desire is to take you out of Christian faith and action, to take you out of mission, to take you out of extending the kingdom of God. And he could do that in any of these ways. And he'll use money to do that. And some people, he is keeping you poor. And there is a, there is a, a, a demonic sense of hopelessness in your life because you just can't break out of this cycle that you're in. And we want to pray for you. But some people, the devil's keeping you rich. And there's a demonic sense to the wealth and the comfort and the the removal that you have from the real needs of brothers and sisters. Do you understand? And so it's not that one's more virtuous than the other. It's not about how much money you've got in your bank. It's about how much mammon you've got in your heart. And one other thing. Some people in their personality, in, their, in the way that they function, are budgeters. They're organized, they plan, they save, they've got a budget. Um, other people are a bit more kind of spontaneous and reactive uh, in the way that they handle money, okay? Again, one is not more virtuous than the other. They're different personality styles, they come from different upbringings, they're different ways of being. The point is not whether you're a budgeter and a planner or whether you're a bit more spontaneous and reactive in how you handle money. The point is, do you have mammon in your heart? Do you understand? And so let the budgeting man beware lest he trust his processes and his strength rather than trusting the grace of God. And let the spontaneous man 
beware lest he judge the budgeting man for not trusting God. And so we don't judge each other by what we see. You don't look in the car park and go, oh, he's driving a really nice car. Or they've got a really big house. Because the issue here is not what you can see. The issue is what you can't see and what only God can see, which is captivity to mammon. Do you understand? So we don't judge, we don't compare, we don't compete, because we're talking about things that are inside people. Right. How does mammon affect people? Um, It can seduce people. So this is about your eyes. So the lie is, you really need this. We know this, right? All the advertising, we're coming to Christmas. If you really love your kids, you'll buy them all of this stuff. Otherwise, you don't really love your kids, right? Um, If you had this, if you had those shoes, you'd be so much happier. Um, It whispers in adverts, it shouts from shop windows, it jumps into your face through whatever algorithms on your social media. It leads to avarice and greed. For some of you, it leads to gambling, so small gambling, like a flutter on the horses, a little bit on the football. But is that a captivity? Is it a, something you can't get out of? For some people, big gambling. I know during COVID, lots of middle-class people really started playing in the stock market, out of boredom as much as anything. Is it a captivity? Is it a habit that you can't get out of? So in what ways does it seduce you? Don't worry, we're going to come to good news, yeah? We're coming to Jesus. First we're doing don't serve mammon, then we're doing serve God! (laughs) Right, we'll get there. Or does it drive you? You know, it whips you, you're exhausted, it's always pushing you just to pay your mortgage, just to pay off your credit card. It's a slave driver that's got you trapped and you can't get out and you don't know how to get out and you don't know how to ask for help or change the way that you're functioning. Um, Some of you are trapped in zero-hour contracts uh, working for really harsh bosses. It's, it's a way that mammon is just kind of squeezing your life, squeezing the life out of you. Or does it paralyze you? Does it just make your legs go weak? Does it cripple you? This feeling of being overwhelmed, of just like, never going to get out of this hole, never going to get out of this debt, never going to get out of this situation. And it just makes you feel powerless and useless. These are all different ways that you can see evil working to, to, to ruin people's lives, to steal and kill and destroy. So what then should we do? We live in Reading. We live within a system and an economy that's set up in a certain way. We need to have jobs. We need to pay our rent and our mortgage. or We need to buy food or pay our exorbitantly expensive heating bills. Um, and so... We live in a place where debt is normal and money in the bank is security. So what do we do, right? So that's the first bit. That's the big kind of question. I wonder how it lands with you. I wonder in what ways Mammon has been involved in your story to this point. The second thing is this. Jesus says, don't serve Mammon, serve God. So how does that work? Well, remember, Jesus came into a world that was broken and ruled by darkness and full of mess and pain in so many different ways because of sin. And he came to do what? To set us free. He came to set us free and to lift us out 
of a certain kingdom and put us into the kingdom of the Son of God, a kingdom of freedom and grace and generosity and joy and peace. He came to lift us out of one kingdom and put us into another one, right? And that's exactly what we read in Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we were living in a kingdom and Jesus came and through his death and through his resurrection, and you know this, through his death and resurrection, he rescues us from the power of the evil one and he lifts us out and he deposits us into a brand new kingdom. Right? That's what happens. In the death of Jesus, we also die. We die towards everything that was our old life. We die towards everything that used to have a hold on us. We die to all old habits and all old thought patterns and all old ways of being, both internal to us and external to us. There's a death to the old world. When Jesus died, we died with him. We were crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live. Now Jesus Christ lives in us. The death of Christ was also the end of your old life. Amen? And when Jesus rose again to, to a brand new life, to start a new world, to start his new kingdom, we rise with him. We rise with him to the power of an indestructible life, to an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken, to an inheritance that will never spoil or perish or fade. Amen? And that's what we symbolize in baptism. You know, baptism, you know, they used to make baptism pools in the shape of coffins. Because the whole point is you're dying to your old life and buried. And when you come out of the water, boom! If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. And so you're out of an old kingdom and into a new kingdom in Jesus Christ. It's the power of the gospel. And with that, there is a... There is a breaking of the hold of everything that was dark and evil and everything that we've just been talking about. There's a breaking of the hold of everything that was dark and evil, including mammon. In the new life, in the new kingdom, scriptures like this become true. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Easy, right? <laughs> Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And... Uh, this is where I, we need to talk about Turkish oil wrestling for a moment. Um, because it's a very ancient, traditional Turkish activity. And Rosanna had a wonderful time in the office Googling pictures to find. Uh, she spent far too long on it. Um, and um, we've got a Turkish guest here today. You'll appreciate this. And um, what, what happens in Turkish oil wrestling is you have men that are virtually naked, covered in oil, trying to get hold of each other. And it's impossible because they're slippery, right? It's a great sport. And, um, but the point is this. When you are now in Christ, and you've got the oil of the Holy Spirit on your life now, yeah, you're slippery. And mammon, who used to be able to grab onto you, can't get hold of you now. It's trying and slipping off. Because you've got the oil of the Holy Spirit on you. Or, if you like, you've got the blood of Christ on you now. Yeah. You're covered in the blood. I really wanted to stand up here and just pour blood on my head as an illustration. 
What I couldn't work out is how I'd do that in one meeting and then get clean and then do it again in the next meeting. But you're covered in the blood of Jesus now. And so everything that was dark and nasty and was seeking to destroy you and wrestle you to the ground now has no hold on you. So where you used to say, oh, I can't get out of this because mammon's all over it. Actually, in Jesus Christ, you've died to an old life. You've been transferred into a different kingdom now. And you've got the blood of Jesus on you. You've got the oil of the Holy Spirit on you. And the screaming demons from before can't actually get purchase on you anymore. Amen? We know this stuff. And so, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has a lovely little book called Dethroning Mammon. If you want to think more about this in the English context, uh, you could read that. But he says this, The contest between God and mammon, the need to dethrone the latter, is not a matter simply of competing estimates of value. That's what we've been saying. It's not about rich and poor. Okay, it's not about how much money you got in your bank. The issue is a question of truth and lies. Mammon lies by distorting our vision, while God brings truth and perception into our lives. Seeing correctly enables us to value correctly and to distinguish between truth and lies. And Christmas is coming, and Mammon is going to scream at you from every possible direction. Okay? Because Christmas is more than, what was it? Chocolate and, chocolate and candles. Christmas is when Mammon comes out to party in England. Okay? And so we need discernment, and we need the grace of God, and we need to understand we're not living in this kingdom anymore. We're in a new kingdom. We're in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is dominated by certain truths. And I'm just going to take you through now some truths about God's economy. Yeah, you still live in England. You still live in Reading. You still have to pay your mortgage. I know that stuff. I do as well, right? But we live within a different kingdom now, a different system now, a different economy, different values, different things that are important. It's different for us, right? You believe that? It's different for us. And so here are some truths that we believe about money. And let's think about these. Let's let them get into our hearts. See if you can say amen to these. So that we can live with freedom to follow our conscience, to serve God, without feeling the, the, the claws of mammon trying to pull us into an old way of thinking and a different way of life. Do you understand? So... Everything you have comes from God. He's your provider, your source. Your salary, it comes from God. Your benefits, they come from God. Whatever name is on the bank balance, it comes from God. Your family money that comes to you, actually it comes from God. You made something, you built something, you sold it. It was the labor of your hands, but the money, it comes from God. He's your provider. He gave you the ability to make the money. He gave you the skills. He gave you the job. Do you believe that? If you're a student and you've got a student loan, it comes from God, right? Think about how you spend it. Picture what you have. 
It comes from him. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Amen? Every good and perfect gift. Secondly, whether you have a lot in your bank or a little in your bank is of no consequence. Your bank balance is irrelevant. It doesn't make you a better person or a worse person. It shouldn't make you happier or sadder. It shouldn't make you more peaceful or more stressed. And when you die, the rich person dies, the poor person dies, they die the same. And on the other side, which is the bit of life that really matters, this is just the introduction, right? Everyone starts from the same place. You can't take it with you. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will be, I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Amen. Do you agree? Do you believe that? Is it kind of principles in the economy of God? Next, money has nothing to do with contentment or peace or happiness. Paul said, I've learned the secret of contentment. I know how to be brought low. I know how to have lots. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Next, God will look after you. You believe that? He's your father. That's what Matthew 6 is about over and over. We've been back to Matthew 6 so many times in this series. You know, I will provide for you. I will look after you. You're my children. Do you believe God will look after you? If you follow your conscience, if you do what's right, if you honor him, those who honor me, I will honor. Next, generosity is godlike. Giving, hospitality, volunteering your time, sharing. It's true that you can't outgive God. It's true that generosity is godlike. God is generous, and we're his children. So we're generous too. Amen? Next, seek first the kingdom. Do what is right without regard to the voice of mammon. If God is asking you to do something, follow the voice. If you're damaging your conscience, stop it. If you're getting money by acting unrighteously, stop it. Ephesians, let the thief no longer steal, but do honest labor so that he has something to give to those in need. Use the same hands that were stealing to now be sharing. Amen. Next, wealth is not a mark of blessing. Yeah, the lie of the prosperity gospel, one of Mammon's cleverest tricks. Um, I was once in a church in South Africa and the preacher, it was unbelievable, but he was like, Jesus was a rich man. You know, when Jesus had that one robe uh, that, that had, you know, on the cross that they took off him, that, you know, wearing one robe like that was a sign of being really wealthy. Jesus was really rich. He wants you to be really rich. Unbelie like, it's unbelievable. It was demonic. And the pressure it put on people. And finally, the most important things are invisible. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary. 
nice car, nice car, temporary. It's going to burn. <laughs> big house, big house, temporary. Can't take it with you. But what is unseen is eternal. Amen? So, in conclusion, if the band could come, that would be wonderful. The kingdom of God has explanatory power. It diagnoses the problem. Jesus shines a light and says, this is what your enemy is, okay? Your enemy is not the man or the system or the bank or what. Your enemy is mammon. The kingdom of God has saving power. It delivers people. It breaks us out of darkness. It brings us into new life. It's got power. And the kingdom of God is a whole different economy. It delights the heart. We live in a place of peace and faith. And Jesus came to give us the, the privilege of living lightly on the earth, whether you've got a lot or a little, and following your conscience and trusting God and serving him and loving people and extending the kingdom. Amen? Let's stand. We're going to sing together. Let these guys lead us in a song for a moment and just take a moment to reflect as we sing. Um, and then right at the end, we will invite people, if you would like someone to pray with you, we would love to pray with you about any of these things. But right now, let's come to him. Let's lift our eyes to him. He's good, eh? God's good. Jesus is full of love. He comes to bring peace and joy and freedom. Can you imagine that freedom? Oh, we live in a different economy, friends. We live in a different kingdom. We're going to a different place. Let's sing to him.